Welcome to the Simply Authentic Podcast with Angie and Tanya, where we hope to inspire you to dream big and push past your fear, empower you to take charge of your own life, and challenge you to be the most authentic self you can be. Welcome back, everyone, to the Simply Authentic Podcast. I'm Tanya Murfin. And I'm Angie Mullings. And we're very excited to have an in-studio guest today. Terry Tucker is joining us. She owns Tucker Resources. She is a speaker, writer, uh, leadership coach. She has many titles, and I'm not going to try to go through them all. I'm going to let her speak for herself. So welcome, Terry. Thank you Hi, so Terry. much. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, guys. So tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and your background. Sure. Well, I am what I like to call a thought leader. So whether that's in a speaking forum, a writing forum, uh, consulting, one-on-one coaching, it's to pose and ask questions and cause thought that maybe you wouldn't normally have on your own. Mm -hmm. So I started in the broadcasting industry Mm -hmm. right out of college. I was at KMBC in Kansas City. And I had a little morning show, and I did marketing and public relations for the station. In fact, I tell people I had that glamorous job of giving Boy Scout tours of the sta- of the studio, <laughs> and then also um, writing bumpers. You know, when you watch a newscast or something in the old days, they used to say, "We'll be right back after these messages," uh-huh. or yeah. or the story's coming. Those are called bumpers. So that was my big claim to fame when I first started. So I did that for a number of years working uh, in the broadcast industry, went and began to work with Hearst Broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And then I puddle jumped down here to Springfield, Missouri, worked at KY3 for a while. And during that time, uh, was recruited by the Hershen Family Entertainment Organization that owns Silver Dollar City in Dollywood and said, hey, would you like to come down here and um, do some marketing for us? And I thought, wow, marketing something as fun as a theme park around Table Rock Lake would be mm-hmm. awesome. So I moved mm-hmm. and started doing that in the late 90s, early, yeah, mid-90s, I guess. And uh, I, so I guess my favorite story about how in the world did I get from that to doing what I'm doing today as a consultant and a speaker is all tied around a silly story about a billboard. So I produced a billboard on Highway 65 for Silver Dollar City, and the billboard said, friendliest theme park in the world. And my CEO was driving to work that day, and he saw it, and he called me, and he said, did you put that billboard up? And I go, yeah, I did. I did. I put that up on 65. He said, hey, I got a question for you. Do you believe it's true? And I said, a career-altering statement at that point (laughs) in my life. I said, no, probably not. Probably Disney. In the eyes of our consumers, Disney's probably friendlier than we are. (laughs) And he looked at me on the phone, and he said, um, so you lied. And I said, no, I'm in marketing. <laughs> That's not lying. That's not lying. And he's, I said, my job is to sell tickets. Operations mm-hmm. job right. is to make us friendly. <laughs> and he said, not anymore. And I said, oh, my gosh, you're firing me over a billboard? He goes, no, I'm promoting you. You're now responsible to make us the friendliest theme park in the world. I said, how in the world do I do that? And he said, it's marketing. <laughs> so, um, got you there. Yeah, he did. Yep. 
So anyway, he did. He gave me a six-month paid sabbatical. I got to travel around the world and study businesses that had become known and part of their brand as friendly Mm -hmm. and find out how they did it. And I came back and I said a second career-altering statement. I said... You can't teach people to be friendly. You have to hire friendly people. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that, but you can teach leadership how to hire it, promote it, discipline it, fire because of it, uh, encourage it, praise it. So that's what we did. And we started a corporate training center in the mid-90s. And it was called Legendary University. And we just started running people through classes on focused on friendliness, how to demonstrate friendliness, how to hire friendliness. And it just took off. Hmm. And we did get shopped by uh, International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. And we won the Friendliest Theme Park in the World Award. Oh, We beat Disney. So check. Check, Mark. <laughs> Done. And uh, people started calling. And saying, could you come teach us how to do that? Could you teach Mm -hmm. us how to create a core value that we live by? Mm -hmm. And we want to, we may not be friendliness, it may be caring, it may be um, creativity, it may be some other core value, but could you come in and help us lead our culture in that direction? And it didn't take me long to realize that I could do that and make more money, honestly, Mm -hmm. for myself, Mm -hmm. have more autonomy, travel the world. And so I jumped ship, started my business in 96, and never looked back. So it's been a blessing. Great, great journey. So one billboard, I always say one billboard changed my life. Yeah. So as you have, so you've done that for several companies now. Mm -hmm. When you first go in, do you, do you ask them, like you said, it might be friendliness, it might be caring, it might be do you sit down with like a leadership team and sure. and try to figure out what it is that they they want to be known for or sure well yeah. every you know i always say every company every organization every family every church every school has a culture mm-hmm. it's just whether or not it's the one you want mm-hmm. um, so great leaders identify what culture they want and then they purposely and intentionally go out and create it mm-hmm. so the first step is always what do you want what kind of environment do you want to operate within? What do your people want? What do you have now that you love? And what do you have now that you don't love? Um, what kind of culture do you want to have? And, of course, people automatically think mission vision. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big fan of core values and uh, cultural axioms. So what are your axioms, your, your non-breakables? I used to teach and travel, get to know a little bit the Covey program and Stephen mm-hmm. Covey. Stephen Covey used to always say, principles, we don't break them, we break ourselves against them. So it's like, what principles do you want to have in your life, in your culture, that you're willing to hire for, fire for, promote for? Mm-hmm. What do you want to have? And then we figure out how to go get that, how to go... Uh, create reward and recognition programs around it, create policies and procedures around it, create training around it. And I do that now as an employee of the Phoenix Home Care and Hospice Organization. So we have what's called Phoenix Home Care University. And the owners, the Phil and Kim Illusion, and their principals, we sat down and said, what kind of culture do we want to have 13 years ago? Mm-hmm. 
And today, you know, they're rocking and rolling with a really awesome group of people that live that, Mm -hmm. live that culture. Do you ever meet with leaders in a company that you can identify they shouldn't be leading? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What a great question. (laughs) Every day? No. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I love that question. Yes. And sometimes I get hired to coach C-suite people that a company will call and say, man, you know, this guy's got or girl's got these amazing credentials and they're so bright, but they've got blank problem, whatever the blank is, whether Mm -hmm. it's interpersonal or it's usually something to do with it. You can't play nice with others Mm -hmm. and I'll get them. And I'm like, I fire myself a lot. I do. I will call and say, I'm firing myself today because this is not working. And leadership is interesting. You know, we don't usually take classes on it. No. We really Mm -hmm. don't. We Mm -hmm. usually just get promoted because we were really good at doing a job. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves being in charge of leading people. And it's like, oops. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't take that class. How or, did, yeah, yeah, exactly. How did I get here? And I, I feel like I right. maybe moved up too quick, and I don't know the back sure. end of this, what I'm supposed sure. to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say this all the time, and Angie knows, she's heard me say this in public speaking forums before, but, you know, I'm a female, so I can say this. We are the best, and we are the worst. And you yeah. know, when we work together and we have that spirit of sisterhood and that lifting each other up and that championing each other, there's no stopping us. Mm-hmm. But we can also be the biggest barracudas mm-hmm. in the pond. Yeah. And so sometimes I get called in to mediate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of times it's women. And mm-hmm. it's two of us that have decided to attack each other instead of lift each other up. Yeah. And again, there's no class in that. Right. You know, we just have to learn how to play nice together as we grow up. And Mm -hmm. um, I deal with that quite a bit. I bet. Yeah. So I got your book out and started reading it. And I brought it. Good. For brownie points, Angie said. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. One of your first uh, chapters in here is about culture. And when I started my company, Southwest Missouri Realty, 10 years ago, I asked my partners that they let me be in charge of culture. Good. Because I was partners with three men, I knew that I was probably the only person at that time that cared what the culture looked like. Sure. So as I was reading this, it really resonated with me. And I love how you bullet point thoughts is what I'm going to call it. Good. And I'm just going to read a couple of those. Culture drives behavior. Consequence is the twin sister to accountability. I love that. Oh, good. What, excuse me, you know you're part of something bigger than yourself. What you do matters. Building a successful culture is not the hard part. Sustaining one is. So what is the secret? There is none. It isn't easy. That's why it is rare. So I love all of those points, just they, they all resonate with me, but a lot of that is so true because you, you set out, so in your job, you set out to build a culture sure. and it doesn't just happen and, it, and everybody doesn't just get it and doesn't, doesn't just click. So when you're setting down with those, 
business owners or CEOs or whatever, what, what are the, what do you have to drive home? Like, what are the starting blocks to make people, people understand here's where we're going. This is how we get there. Oh, great question. I love that. And I, and I don't want to cop out by answering it this way, but I do have to start this way. Uh, Every case is different. Sure. But I do say this, and I, I actually, and I, it's in the book as well. You only know if a culture lives by what the people do, yep. by watching what the people do. Mm-hmm. So I can go into a company, mingle amongst them, go in a break room, um, hang out for a little bit and tell you what kind of culture Mm-hmm. And it may not be in pretty words, and it's not going to be in the title of a book that I went and picked up off the bookshelf and said, oh, it's this culture, or it's that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you whether or not it's an empowered culture. I can tell you whether or not it's a creative culture, whether or not it's a dictatorship, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of culture it is mm-hmm. by watching what the people do. Sure. So how I usually begin to answer your question is... In a very casual setting, I will ask, what is a great day? What are the people doing in your organization when it is a great day? And I want to get as granular in those behaviors as possible. So it might be as simple as, well, when um, our receptionist answers the phone, she's smiling. Okay? That's extremely granular. Mm-hmm. But the smile is cultural. Mm-hmm. Um a person is walking by another person's desk and pats them on the back on the way by and said, how's it going? Okay, extremely granular, but very cultural. Mm -hmm. Um, At a stand-up, a person speaks without being called on. Very cultural indicator of health. Mm -hmm. So I love to start that granular. And usually what happens is somebody at a CEO level will say, well, everybody's happy. And I'm like, no, cop out. Give me something more. Dig, dig, Mm -hmm. dig. How do you know they're happy? What are they doing? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's it's as simple as people aren't parking in somebody else's employee of the month parking spot. (laughs) Or um, they're not stealing food out of the refrigerator in the break room. You know, there's just respect. It's palpable. It's respect. So we will spend sometimes a whole half a day sitting there just whiteboarding, silly little granular behaviors that, because people leave or come or stay at companies because of those behaviors. Mm-hmm. True. They don't right. come because of your mission statement. No. Right. They don't They don't come because of who your charitable partners are in a community. Mm-hmm. They come because in the thick of the thin things of the day, they fit. Mm-hmm. They feel valued. They're honored. They're respected in those little minutia moments of the day. And that's why they either stay or that's why they go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's go find those. And then let's back out of that end in mind. Let's back out of that. And how do we create that? How do you behave your way into that? And then we begin to build in the pillars or the core values of that mm-hmm. culture. Sure. Mm-hmm. So that's how we kind of do it. Do you ever find organizations where they think they've surrounded themselves with the right people only to learn that they really haven't? Yeah. And and how how does how does that conversation go? Yeah, that's kind of hard. Yeah. Um 
And I don't find that out for quite some time. Mm -hmm. If I live amongst them, I can find that out. Mm -hmm. Some companies, I've had a client for nearly 30 years now called Meyer Jabara Hotels. Uh, They are out of the East Coast. They have 80-some hotel properties up and down the I-95 corridor, and they're moving this direction as well. And I've worked with them since the Mm mid-'90s. I know their culture. I've helped birth their culture. So Mm -hmm. I can spot pretty fast when somebody is not what I Mm -hmm. call culturally congruent. Mm -hmm. We've actually branded their culture. And I will say with great pride and also giving them the credit that they were just on the Today Show a few weeks ago having the lowest turnover in the hospitality industry. Oh, wow. wow. They're running at 22% when that industry's turnover is insane. Mm, Sure. And so they literally were doing, trade pubs were doing profiles on how is this happening? Well, 100% cultural. Mm -hmm. And so we have found in that organization those that succeed, succeed because they're culturally congruent. Those that fail, fail because they're not culturally congruent. It's a very difficult conversation to have with the leaders mm-hmm. because some leaders are so performance-based that if the performance is coming, why poke <clears throat> the bear, right? right? But eventually, culture trumps. Culture will almost always come in and trump performance in the long run that is super interesting mm-hmm. yeah, almost culture, always repeat that culture, culture will. will almost always now there's a few like in very silo oriented companies mm-hmm. where everybody's an independent contractor right i wouldn't say this is true yeah. but yeah. in when they are actual employees. you know w2 employees mm-hmm. and they're a part of a team i believe culture will almost always 90 plus percent of the time mm-hmm. trump performance mm-hmm. because it will catch you it will come up and bite you eventually yeah. if you are not culturally congruent. Yeah. Because people do have, to, back to your point that you read in the book, people have a desire to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. There's only a very small percentage of people that really don't care about community, yeah. that don't care about belonging. Yeah. Right. And those people, you know, they can go off and do whatever they want to do. Yeah. But there still needs to be that camaraderie Mm -hmm. and I think you find that in the real estate oh yes Yes. real estate uh realtors are typically independent performers right yeah but yet you find yourself aching to serve or to be Mm -hmm. on committees or to join associations or to Mm -hmm. network Mm -hmm. not just because it gives you more leads but because you become better you become smarter you become more a part of something Absolutely. So that's culture. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's not a company, mm-hmm. like your boards of realtors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's culture. Yeah. Well, and I feel like you just described mine and Angie's experience in, you know, we have our own companies, we have our own cultures there, but we both got involved in something bigger, which was the board, sure. which then improved our relationships with many other realtors and brokers around sure. and it improved our leadership mm-hmm. skills and might have we might have been able to take a culture back to our office or our office culture to the board right yeah yeah but mm-hmm. nothing told you you had to right. that's what no. was so right. cool nothing right. said you have to go do this right. you weren't going to get paid more money because you did mm-hmm. it you weren't going to I mean, it, it was a drive on your part to contribute and be a part of something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and to make difference, to make change, to right. be a part of something positive. And that's culture. Yeah. And so I do believe, you know, Peter Drucker said in a great quote in one of his books, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm -hmm. And I love that quote mm -hmm. because you can sit in a boardroom all day and write your strategies. But if the people yeah. of your organization don't say, oh, I see myself in that. Yeah. I want that. I want to mm -hmm. go on that path. They're not going to do it. And it's going to die on a piece of paper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like culture is this buzzword we've been throwing around mm. in the last, say, five years or so. I'm not sure anyone, I shouldn't say anyone, I'm sh I feel like a lot of companies throw that word around. Oh, yeah. And, and don't really do the work, like you've said, um, digging deep, trying to figure out what what is, I wouldn't be surprised if you go to some CEOs or some leaders and they can't even describe to you the, <laughs> right? Yeah, you're I feel so like, smart. Yeah. You're so smart. I love that. Yeah. Uh, if I get called fluffy one more time oh. in my age old <laughs> career, I might end up decking somebody i'm serious <laughs> they would i mean that. i am so serious sometimes i'll get these ceos that go we don't need that fluff it's like all right buddy um good luck but yeah culture is funny people will say and it's like let's take phoenix for an example we hear at phoenix with our recruiters all the time oh you need to come to work here it's such an amazing culture and then somebody will say well tell me about your culture and then it's hard to put words to it because then it's like, well, it's the way we treat each other. It's the way we feel about each other. So what we did at Phoenix was we said, let's go ahead and define it. Let's brand it. So we have a culture called flight. We actually branded it. It's, a, it's eight principles. So our culture is led by eight principles. We filter in four qualities that we feel we can't train. We have to hire, kind of that friendliness thing. We have to hire those four. So it's four traits that we filter into our organization in the interview process. And then we train and teach and model those eight principles. So we've actually defined what culture is. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says, tell me about your culture, it's eight principles mm -hmm. and four core values that we follow. And when we do that, we're successful. When we don't, we find ourselves struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, but culture is a buzzword. It's like empowerment was back in the early 2000s. Everybody wanted empowered organizations. Mm -hmm. And so they book after book on empowerment. Mm -hmm. And it really bothers me today, to be real honest, I'm probably going to offend some of my colleagues, but if I go on uh, Audible or Amazon or Kindle, whatever, I can go to a shelf and I can pull off, oh, you need the blank culture. Oh, you need, oh, we go to a reception somewhere. Oh, I have the blank culture. Don't you have the blank culture? And I'm not going to say names out loud because I don't want to offend anyone, but mm -hmm. they're the titles of their books. And so what it is, is it's these six steps you follow and these forms that you organize your action plans around and these methods of measurement that you hold up against your company. And therefore, if you do these things, you will have this culture huge fan of the systems mm -hmm. right i think the mm -hmm. systems make sense yeah but that doesn't a system does not create a culture mm -hmm. right the system creates the opportunity for the culture the culture lives when the people decide to embrace the system and bring it to life and it produces results mm -hmm. and they breathe into mm -hmm. it and they 
um, they support it. We, I just did a presentation last night over at the Keter Center at College of the Ozarks, and I've coached the Keter Center leadership teams for years. And we are launching for the first time ever a student-led mentorship program for the employees, the student workers of the Keter Center. Mm. So we launched the foundation, which is similar to what I just described. Here's the system. Here's the meeting schedule. Here are the types of questions you would ask. Here are the forms you have to fill out. So we did that. We created the structure. Mm -hmm. But then last night we sat there and said, now, we reserve the right to get smarter. We are only going to know if this works if you come back. You are the pilot program. You come back and you Mm -hmm. tell us, what do the mentees like? What kind of questions do the mentees want to ask? Or what Mm -hmm. kind of topics do they want to talk about that we didn't think about? Right. And then let's build that into next year and the next year and the next year. Let's make this organic and grow because the the people piece is where the culture lives, Mm -hmm. not the structure. Mm -hmm. No, structure's good. Mm -hmm. You got to have it. Sure. But unless your people are able to use it and embrace it. It's like I have one client that has embraced this concept of action planning that I have introduced to them. So we've introduced action plans. Um, half of the culture loves it, sits there and really thinks about what goes on my action plan. And I get those action plans back. And sometimes they're on a scribbled or they're, they're just typed up on a, on a Word document with no template or no form. I love those because I know they really did them. Mm-hmm. Like they really sat and thought. They weren't hung up on the form. Then right. I'll get another percentage that the form's perfect. And I read the words and it's like, this is so bad. But they filled out the form. Mm-hmm. And then there's some that just don't even turn them in. They just don't do them. Right. So the first section is the section that used the thought leadership of an action plan and said, oh, this is what I need to do this month to be successful, to get me closer to my vision. Mm-hmm. This next group's just getting somebody off their back by saying, I sure. filled it out, I turned it in, I don't know what you want me to do. Right. Yeah. And the third's like not playing. Mm-hmm. So structure's good, but structure doesn't make a culture. Mm-hmm. That's good. It helps lead you. Right. Right. So... If culture can be taught, right, because mm-hmm. you can make a you can make an outline, you can make a plan, and then it takes people's buy-in, sure, and they want to feel a certain way to be part of this. Can you teach friendliness? <laughs> I really don't think you can. You can teach the demonstration of friendliness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, this is such a terrible story to tell publicly, <clears throat> but I'll tell it. <laughs> Tell it, tell Um, it. (laughs) So I get a call one day for this former client. I get a call one day, and it's an executive with the company, and they said, you know, we've got this lady that she's just such a great performer, and she's a super nice lady, but we get so many complaints on her for being unapproachable and rude and all this stuff, but could you just work with her a little bit? So I drive to where she lives, and I go in and I meet her, and um, I hope this is appropriate for your podcast, but she had the proverbial RBF, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay. So um, what do I do with that? Like, <laughs> what do I do with, 
I mean, I don't know your heart. I don't know what's inside of you, but I know what I'm looking at. Yes. And I know that that right there is our problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's only one thing to do, and that's to love you enough to tell you, Mm -hmm. you know, and to Mm -hmm. do that in a very difficult conversation. But, you know, so I had to invest the time to build the relationship and to talk about and really get to know her heart. And what I found was a wonderful, delightful, great, beautiful woman. Right. Mm -hmm. But just had the face going on Mm -hmm. that just said, if you come near me, I will claw your eyes out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I had to basically tell her. And, you know, she was so grateful for it. But I will have to tell you the funniest thing. I created some little catch points for her in her day in the form of post-it notes and little little things that she stuck around to remind herself, you know, relax the face, smile, mm-hmm. get your eyes going, you know, mm-hmm. don't let all your thoughts coming out there in the in the middle of your face. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she would wake up in the morning, true story, get her makeup on, get ready for the day, take a selfie of her going ah, with this great, big, wide, totally tacky smile and send it to me as just a sarcastic start to the day. But we worked together, honestly, for about six months, and she ended up just doing a fantastic job and ended up being insanely successful in her career. But it was her obstacle. So I don't think I taught her friendliness. I just taught her how to demonstrate the friendliness she already had Mm -hmm. in her heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like back in my Silver Dollar City days, we used to bring in kids. We'd bring in small children and teach our employees how to bend down and talk to them eye to eye so they weren't looking up their noses, Mm -hmm. you know, when Mm -hmm. they were watching them, you know, bend over the top of them. We'd get them to down on their knees talking to kids. We'd teach them how to respectfully talk to a person in a wheelchair or um, how to approach a senior citizen versus a middle-aged family. Um, And just, I believe you can teach the demonstration of those values, but I do think they have to be in your heart in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to hire that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I heard this quote from you, possibly, or someone has told me that Sam Walton was famous for saying that um, their mamas taught them that, or, you know, they got (laughs) that from home or they don't have it. I can't teach them that because you're either instinctively that way or or you're not. It's part of your personality. That's how you were raised, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so, you know, if if we take this leap into sort of a customer service the difference between customer service and what is that. I love the pyramid that you always do, and I try to reiterate that. I think if you ask the majority of at least people in our industry, if you ask them, I would venture to guess at least 90% of them say that they give good customer service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I try to push beyond that. I don't, I'm not. Ex- Good is not acceptable. Good is not good enough. So, but I love the triangle that you do because it's a great um, representation of how to go above the line. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, we are being videoed, but we don't have that pyramid in front of us. But if you would kind of talk about that pyramid and that um, the idea that goes with being above the line, sure. And what, we, what you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, I'm glad that means something to you because yeah. that's actually one of my favorite things to teach. And we spend a lot of time with my clients really challenging what is over the line of expectation. So what you're referring to is what I call the experience pyramid. And it's a, if you just envision a pyramid, um, 
the bottom half of the pyramid, of course, is a lot wider and thicker than the top. The top mm-hmm. is very narrow. So every organization, and, I, and I'll go to home care just because, and then we'll come back to real estate. Mm-hmm. So in home care, every home care agency has to have nurses. They have to have contracts. They have to have clients. They have to have medications. They have to have supplies. They have to have cars. They have to have scrubs. They have to have name tags. They have masks, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what your brand is. It doesn't matter what company you work for. Every home care agency in the entire world has to have those same things. Mm-hmm. And then you start to rise up the experience pyramid a little bit more. After all the stuff and things is in place, then it would be nice to have people that showed up on time when they said they were going to be there mm-hmm. and you could rely on them. So I'm getting now I'm getting closer to the line of expectation. Mm-hmm. So it'd be nice if the cars they have actually started and worked and were clean. All right, so let's move up a little bit more. And it would be nice if the caregivers that were assigned to go to someone's home knew the name of the client they were calling on when they got there, so they called them by name. Mm -hmm. So see, as we're getting closer and closer to the line of expectation, it's getting narrower and narrower because fewer do that. Right. But then there's this magical line, and that line comes across, and that line is what, through the client's eyes, what they expect, not in the industry, but through the client's eyes. What is, what do I think I'm paying for? Mm-hmm. And we've got to meet that. But sadly, that's not enough to build a brand because that just gets me in the game. And that can keep me in the game at an incremental growth level. It can keep me in the game. But if I want to get to a monumental growth level, or if I want to get to a branded level where people will call me by name and say, I want to do business with Phoenix Home Care, let's say, I'm going to have to cross over that line. So what crosses me over that line? So when I talk at Phoenix about this, I'll say, all right, so Mary Jo bought four hours of personal care. Here's what she bought. She bought light housekeeping. She bought meal prep in that four hours she wants one meal prepped and she bought uh, personal hygiene she bought a shower and dressing so line of expectation you show up on time you make a good meal you clean the house pretty good and you put her in some clothes Mm -hmm. and she's good for the day she bought four hours but that's not above the line that's the expect anybody can do that sure Mm -hmm. that's what you paid for right right so I'm going to ask her what she wants to eat. And I'm going to ask her if she has a recipe box and if there's a special recipe she'd like me to make for her. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask her what color she would like to wear today. Do do you feel fancy today? Do you feel pink or do you feel green? What do you feel like you want to wear today? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to ask permission to move items when I clean instead of just knocking them around or I'm going to I'm going to make a comment about that photograph that's on the mantle right. and if he's in a military uniform I'm going to thank you for your sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So that's going to take me over the line of expectation and make me and my company memorable to you. Mm-hmm. So in realty, it's real estate, it's the same way. A realtor that just shows me some houses and the keys work and their car's clean inside when they pick mm-hmm. me up. And they don't get lost. And they're part of MLS. And, I mean, just the – it's a it's a good right. realtor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, when I bought my house, 
and closed on my house in Kimberling City. I was recently widowed, and I had to close by myself on the house. And there was a pin in a box from my realtor. And I unwrapped the pin, and there was a note inside that said, sign with this pin, and every time you use it, remember this is the start of a new life and a new way for you. And we hope you find love and joy and happiness and moments in your new home. Okay, I'm never gonna forget that real time. Right. Nope. Right. Yeah. They didn't just sell me a house. Yeah. Yeah. So crossing that line in that pyramid is marketing 101. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's remembering you. Uh, long after that transaction's over with. Mm -hmm. So I just think um, the experience pyramid's a pretty cool deal. Yeah. 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 Causes okay. you to really decide what you want to be and who mm -hmm. you want to be, mm -hmm. what you want to be remembered for. Right. Yeah. I think we should all have to go through a class of yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, and I've never even attended a class of yours, Terry. Or <laughs> Angie may have to invite you to yes. the next one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But uh, to me, you're making better humans. Oh, mm -hmm. thank you mm -hmm. so you know, much. Just to um, maybe just step outside of what's expected of you in your job, in the culture, um, you're asking people to actually participate. <laughs> And yeah. and feel Get off something, your wheel. Yeah, yeah, feel something, and mm -hmm. and be happy, and put a smile on your face, and say mm -hmm. you're doing a good job, or your hair mm -hmm. looks nice today. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you just I think that what you're giving is unique because it will make people better humans. Oh. It won't just make them better at their job. Yeah. Or better leaders, for that or, matter. Exactly. Because yeah. we, we bring in Terry for the Greater Springfield Board of Realtors Leadership Academy every year, and you'll be with us in a couple of weeks, um, To uh, and you used to do lessons from the dirt road, and now you do lessons from your from your book, Iron Wolf. But um, I absolutely believe that. That's mm -hmm. why it's important that we have you there every year, Thank because you. it's it really does make them better leaders and better people, for I, sure. I believe. Yeah. Um, we also, I, we need to mention that you're going to be our keynote speaker at the women's event, the real estate women's event in October. So we're, we're very much looking forward to that. Yeah. And in that, you, you did a, um, a version of a speech back in March at the Athena luncheon for mm -hmm. the Springfield Chamber. So for those of you out there listening who were in attendance to Athena, this is Terry Tucker. <laughs> you heard her there. Um, but you did a great job about... You mentioned earlier, you alluded to where either women are either our worst critics or we can be the most unstoppable force. Sure. So if we can shift gears for just a few minutes and talk <clears throat> about that idea of building your pack, building your sure. community. Um, and I think that has to do with culture as well. That's mm -hmm. a piece no of that. Mm -hmm. But if we can talk a little bit about that to give sure. our listeners that will be there at the women's conference maybe a, a taste of what they might get there. Sure, I would love to. So for years I worked with the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and I got to meet a lot of the Hall of Famers that were inducted into that. But one of them just stuck with me forever, and um, he was a lineman. He was an offensive lineman. And he was an old, old gentleman by the time I met him. But I asked him, I said, so you still love football after all these years? And he said, yes, I definitely do. And 
I said, could you tell me, because I have a football playing son, I said, could you tell me, how do you think you got to the Hall of Fame? And his answer just still to this day just circles through my brain all the time. And he was such a gentleman. And he said, well, ma'am, he said, I can tell you the way I got here was playing for the guy next to me. And I think about that. And I think about, uh, you know, that's team. Mm-hmm. I play mm-hmm. for the guy next to me. A lineman in a football game makes holes. They don't carry the ball. They don't get their name shouted through the megaphones. And they just make holes. And when they are successful, it's because the guy running the ball had a hole to run through without getting tackled. Mm-hmm. So I believe we create our packs by serving each other. I write a lot in Iron Wolf because I had a good coach that helped me, um, Ed Bangs, who was a foremost authority on wolf packs. And he said, you know, one of the interesting things about the female alpha wolf is in pictures you will see the male alpha wolf in a fight. And the male is out there, teeth you know, growling and getting ready to kill the opponent. And in all the pictures, the female alpha is underneath of him. She's underneath him in the fight. And you're thinking, oh, he's protecting her. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? He's protecting her. But if you really study the female alpha, the way one wolf kills another wolf is he bites his throat out. Mm -hmm. So the female is underneath the throat of the male to protect his throat. She's putting herself in harm's way to protect him because he's protecting the pack. Hmm. So she is there as the alpha female making sure his throat is protected. I think we as women do that for each other out of instinct. We protect Mm -hmm. each other, we lift each other up, we help each other. But building pack is about finding out what your weakness is and I'll shore that up for you. Mm-hmm. You find out what my weakness is, and you shore that up for me. Mm-hmm. And together, high tides raise all boats, and we're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will if we tear each other down, neither one of us win. Right. So it's living in a win-win mentality versus just a win or a win-lose mm-hmm. is the way packs are created. And once a pack is created, you, you look at – I go back to football analogy again mm-hmm. – the uh, Clemson-Duke game that just happened this last week. Duke wasn't supposed to win. Clemson was supposed to win. But the spirit, the culture that was alive, the energy, that playing for each other. If you noticed after every play, there wasn't a dude strutting across the field doing his own thing. He was hitting some other dude on his team on the helmet because he thought he did a great job. I told my husband in the first quarter, I said, Duke's going to win. I go, watch him. They love each other. Watch him. Hmm. I mean, it is that pack that we're here together playing for the person next to us. Mm-hmm. You can't stop that. That's power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I love, you mentioned it in the book, and it is Proverbs, I believe. Iron sharpens iron. iron sharpens and I iron. say that all the time because I love that because I think it's so um, important for us to remember. Um, I guess... I'm thinking about our listeners, and and we've given them some great content today. Mm -hmm. I feel like, could you, and this may be difficult, could you maybe think about the entrepreneur out there that is getting started, 
And if you would give them, if you have any words of wisdom to give them in terms of, we've talked about how important culture is and it's, it's, you know, the, the, maybe the most important thing. If, as they're getting started, maybe something that they could do and think about as they start to develop their company. Yeah. What a great question that is. You know, I just, ironically, isn't it weird how stuff works? I just gave a speech two days ago on entrepreneurs. Um, I, I said, and I, I stand by this, the word entrepreneur, basically, if you look it up, it just means that you're taking on the biggest risk of anyone in your, you know, you're the one taking on the risk, and you're also the one willing to reap the reward of it. So I think that's a very left brain definition of entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But when you add the word mindset to it, it becomes a whole different meaning entrepreneurial mindset is what the entrepreneur needs to never lose anybody can go buy something anybody can go take a risk anybody can go make money by selling something Mm -hmm. that they bought but to perpetually keep the entrepreneurial mindset which means all my thoughts all my actions all my behaviors all my choices all my decisions are based on how do i get better different, more competitive, more differentiated than anyone else. So every decision in every moment. So I tell people that want to keep that entrepreneurial mindset to be careful who you hang out with, hang out with other free thinkers, hang out with other entrepreneurial mindset people. They don't have to own their own business to have an entrepreneurial mindset. Right, sure. Go hang out with movers and shakers. Mm -hmm. Go Mm -hmm. hang out with thinkers and doers. Um, Be a student, not a learner. We're all learners. Mm -hmm. I'm learning right along today with everybody else. Mm -hmm. But a student, you think about the behaviors of a student. A student sets time to go to class. A student has deadlines for reading. A student takes notes. A student studies because they know they're going to be tested. Mm -hmm. So I always say, Adopt the behaviors of a student as an entrepreneur. Um, Be a student again. Mm -hmm. Of what? Of successful entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Of people with that entrepreneurial mindset. So be careful who you hang out with. Be a student again. Mm -hmm. And constantly drive. So my research with entrepreneurs is the one non-negotiable to be an entrepreneur is drive. Mm -hmm. So then you want to know, well, what is drive? Drive is passion and discipline. That's it. Passion plus discipline equals drive. Mm -hmm. So have passion for what you do. Have the discipline to habitualize it. And you will have that drive. And that Mm -hmm. drive should allow any dream that you have to come to reality. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good stuff. That's really good. Yeah. I love that. And so true because at times as entrepreneurs and business owners, you get overwhelmed with whatever's happening Mm -hmm. and you can identify when you lose that drive for five minutes or five days, you feel like things are falling apart. You don't want to go into work. You don't want to lead anymore. No. You don't want to plan another meeting. You don't want to no. have another meeting about numbers. Isn't that a horrible it, feeling? Yes, yeah. it, but it, you're so right. And I, I don't know that I've ever looked at it like that, but as soon as you, you lose the drive, you, mm-hmm. things kind of start to mm-hmm. psh, 
fall right. apart. It yeah. becomes somebody yeah. else's responsibility. Yes. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stake in that game. Yes. And then guess what? You're not an entrepreneur anymore. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, good stuff. That's why that's I've gravitated, stuff. I think, to you all these years is that every single time it's like you've got that drive. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And I love to hang out with people that have drive. Yeah. 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 Well, it just makes us better. It, it does. does. It makes, us makes you better. sharp. And mm-hmm. it, does, it does. has nothing to do with experience. It has nothing to do with age. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do no. with education. <laughs> it has to do with that internal. There's another one. I don't think we can teach drive. No. I think you either Not, yeah, have it right. or you don't. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah. 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 Or you have to find it. You have to find you, it. I think yes. you can get it. Yes. I think so too. But I don't think Agree. somebody can teach that. No. It's got to be. You know, there's a yep. huge difference between if I tell you to do something and you tell yourself to do something. Mm-hmm. I mean... The one me telling you to do something doesn't have nearly the internal motivation as you telling yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Well, Terry, as we get ready to wrap this up, we always like to ask if you have an interesting real estate story. So <laughs> it could be funny, sad, scary. I have a request. Okay. Oh. Because the story, and it's not about personal home, but it is home for the wolves. Okay. The story about how that field got there. Oh, my gosh. Is one of the best, I think. Oh, that's I, awesome. I hear I people talk story. about, how, how does Reed Spring have this nice field? And, you yeah. know, so I'm like, I know. You know how. You know how. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you real quick. So yeah. I have two sons. One is 23 and works over at Bass Pro now. And the other one is a freshman at Missouri State playing football for the Bears. But back when my oldest was a freshman in high school, I was working with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so the Pro Football Hall of Fame invited our family to come up for a tour and to go in the underneath part of the hall, which is where all the stuff that's not displayed is, which is every guy that loves football, his dream. So my two sons and my husband, who's actually my third boy, was so excited about going up there and seeing this that they just couldn't hardly stand themselves. So we went, and we had a wonderful time. And then, surprise, surprise, the president of the Hall of Fame, David Baker, said, hey, will you join us for dinner tonight at the sports bar? I have some friends coming. So we were like, yeah, sure. So we go to the sports bar in Canton, Ohio. Well, his friends were uh, Roger Goodell, um, the guy, oh, I can't draw on a blank, the um, football player, Ray Lewis. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Lewis and like five or six other Hall of Famers. So we walk into dinner with these absolute, incredibly famous yeah. superstar people. I thought my sons were going to absolutely <laughs> have like a coronary right there on the floor. My husband couldn't even speak. So anyway, we get seated at the table and Roger Goodell's across from us and Ray Lewis is next to him and the president of the... Uh, NFL historians was there. I mean, there were just some really interesting people. So David Baker, president of the Hall of Fame at the time, turns to Connor just in chit-chat, my freshman in high school, who played football at Reed Spring, and our field was terrible. And he said to Connor, so Connor, are the Wolves going to be any good this year? Well, my husband kicked me under the table because as a teenager, you never know what's going to come out of your son's mouth, Right. right? He was like 14 years old. I thought, oh my gosh, just make it a complete sentence or something. (laughs) Well, Connor proceeded to go off on this incredible soliloquy about the the football 
team and how good the Wolves were going to be and what their strengths were, their strong side, their weak side, you know, everything. And my husband and I were both like the coach put his hand in his back and just started moving his mouth. I mean, <laughs> right. It was crazy. I was like, that's really good. So I was all puffed up like, oh, I'm just the greatest mother ever to have raised this child. And then um, Ray Lewis looks at him and says, so Connor, what's going to be your biggest challenge? And then my 14-year-old son comes out and he looks at him and he says, well, we suck in the mud. There he is. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So so Ray Lewis goes, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we usually get home field advantage because we're pretty good. So we get the first round of districts. But in the where we live, it rains every year in the fall. And so we can't practice on our field. So we practice on our practice field. And then game night we come, we're not used to that mud. So we slip and slide all over the place. We're terrible, and we usually lose in first round of districts. So we suck in the mud. So this other guy that was at the table that worked for uh, NFL, he said, hey, Mom, we don't have turf? And I looked across the table relatively sarcastically and quoted our percentage of free and reduced lunch and said, do you think we're going to get a bond issue passed for a football field of turf in our county? You are sadly mistaken. It's Mm -hmm. not happening. Mm -hmm. Right. So anyway, end of story. Except two weeks later, I go home, and my phone rings one day, and I pick it up. This was back when you had a phone in your house. And I picked it up, and um, the guy said, yeah, is this uh, Terry Tucker? And I said, yes, sir, it is. And he goes, I want to know who the H you are. And I went, well, you called me. Who are you? Why are you mad at me? (laughs) He goes, I want to know who you are. And I was like, I'm Terry Tucker. You called me. He goes, what's your affiliation with the NFL? And I said, I don't really have any. I'm just me. I don't really have any NFL experience. And he said, well, you must be somebody because before I can put $11 million worth of turf on the Hall of Fame village in Canton, Ohio, I have to take this turf I've got down to some godforsaken place named Reed Spring, Missouri (laughs) and put it down on a field before I can do the rest of my job up in Canton, Ohio. So you must be somebody. And I go, this is really going to frustrate you because I'm just a football mom. I go, that's all I am is a football mom. Sorry. (laughs) So anyway, the way the story goes is we had a chance. um, The University of Cincinnati was lifting up their brand spanking new turf off their field. It was NFL turf. They were lifting it off their field because they had had to put a soccer field down Mm -hmm. and that football turf wouldn't do both. Right. So they had to have a new field. They had never even played on it, really, or played on it maybe one season. So they rolled it up, and they really didn't have any place to put it. Well, David Baker knew that we needed it. Mm -hmm. So our school still had to fund preparing the land and all that to get it ready and to rip up the turf, the grass that was there. Mm -hmm. But we have an NFL-grade turf on our field that is stunning with drainage and the whole bit, and it is still. And that was several years ago. That was probably eight years ago, eight or nine years ago still just absolutely stunning and beautiful yeah that's a great story but when it drove in on these semi-trucks to little reed spring missouri and these huge semi-trucks pulled in i mean it was literally a parade people were standing around going i bet where did this come from yeah Mm -hmm. it was pretty Mm -hmm. fun yeah Yeah. that's great i love that yeah and something i didn't know about reed spring yeah yeah Yeah. there you go Beautiful field. And since Beautiful we're in turf. football season, I thought it was right. appropriate. <laughs> Very appropriate. <laughs> Thanks for suggesting that. Yes. 
Yeah. All right. Well, I want to give your book one more plug. It's Iron Wolf by Terry Tucker. And where can they find this? You can find it on Amazon, okay. uh, Smashwords, but primarily Amazon. Okay. And you want to make sure you do Iron Wolf Terry Tucker because there's someone that wrote a book about the occult named Terry Tucker oh. and it's got wolf in it. Oh. People go, that's a really weird book, Terry. <laughs> but I didn't write that one. Honestly, I wrote Iron Wolf. Well, we hope our listeners go out and buy it. And thank you, Terry, for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. And if you're a realtor out there, be sure and join us on October 12th uh, for the women's event. And you'll get to see Terry there. Yeah. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see you next time. time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Simply Authentic Podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to listen to us on your favorite podcasting app.